All right, so I walked you guys through this, uh, walked you guys through the process of trying to figure these numbers out and figuring out where these, uh, what these numbers mean. So we did all this math here, and essentially it's given us a recommendation of the, nu of the nutrients we need. And then for this particular sample, you go back and you find that their, their, their values, well, I, I, I did some rounding that changed it a little bit, but essentially they're recommending their or the, deficient, uh, the deficit that they put in here is pretty close to what it is here in this example, except I believe uh, they average out, uh, they use, uh, I think they use a slightly lower percentage, but it's relatively relevant. So they claim my deficit's 857 pounds of calcium. I came up with 754 pounds. Uh, so they were actually running 68%, and I suggested 65. So I did the math on 65. So... On the magnesium, it was they claimed the deficit is 55 pounds, uh, but they were looking for 12% base saturation. I did 15, and that extra 3% actually makes quite a difference. Uh, again, with potassium, I believe they were looking for four. I got 140 here, I got 140 here. So they shot for 4%, I shot for 4%. That's how they got to a 140 pound deficit. They didn't make a recommendation for sodium. I decided I wanted sodium to be 2% of my base saturation, so I came up with 53-pound deficit. They did not claim a deficit in sodium. So this, this is how these laboratories tend to come up with recommendations. Um, they're very general. They're not, uh, they're, I guess if you will say, a, a one-size-fits-all. Uh, but, you know, I've, this part of the country, there's so many folks that are out in the deserts, and they have issues with water quality, and they have issues with uh, carbonates in their soils and car carbonates in their water and calcium in their water, uh, that it gets sometimes very difficult to balance that nutrition. You can't just take, for this example, uh, soil in New England where you have a lot of industry. You, you, traditionally, you had a lot of acid rain. Acid rain, or rain in general is acidic, but uh, acid rain is even more so acidic. So every time it rains, you're washing away your cations. This is also in a sandy soil where water moves through it rather quickly, uh, real close to the river. Those nutrients go down to the river and they're gone. Uh, so in this particular example, you see that really what, you, what we had with such high or low acidity, high hydrogen concentration or high base saturation of hydrogen, really what we had is a soil that has been stripped clean. This is also referred to as weathering. And this is something you tend to see in the tropics a lot where your, your soils are very acidic, all your nutrition is in some sort of organic form in the trees and vegetation that is growing there. So this is what really troubles people about the way that they're deforesting the Amazon. It is tropical region. You go through, you cut all this timber down and you haul it out of there. There's really nothing there to build another big tree because it's gone. So those are the challenges in those type of uh, systems. Um, I know in some places in Honduras and in, um, I think it's Guatemala, they have similar issues. But uh, here we're talking about a sandy soil in New England that's been farmed for about uh, almost 400 years. They've been farming the Connecticut River Valley for a long time. And they haven't always done so in a very intelligent manner. And you end up with soils that are very deficient, like the one that we tested here, as well as this one way at the end here that also is 39% and very deficient in... Uh, calcium as well as uh, potassium. 
And uh, this field is the one that was growing alfalfa. Alfalfa tends to really like alfalfa, uh, potassium. So you see that it pulled a, a, off a lot of a, a potassium out of that soil. But uh, you know, crops, every crop is different. So what you can expect to be removed when you're growing something varies from crop to crop. Okay, I wanted to go back and, oh, yes, okay. So I spoke mostly about uh, balancing. So I'm gonna talk a little bit now. This may be, I don't know, does this seem complicated to anybody? Yeah, it does take a little getting used to. You know, if you're gonna do it yourself, it takes a little getting used to. If uh, you want to, you know, pay an agronomist or somebody to recommend it for you, you know, it's nice, you can just give it to them, they'll deal with it, they'll come back and tell you what to do. We'll uh, just call you. <laughs> call you, just call me. <laughs> yeah. All right, but uh, I didn't really wanna make all the spreadsheets because, uh, or the slides for two reasons. One, I was running out of time. As you can see, I got to the last hour and I've got to pretty much my second to the last slide. But I was, I did wanna talk about it. So. I want you guys to understand that it's really important when, especially with, base, uh, with uh, uh, this particular approach of uh, base saturation balancing, that calcium and magnesium together are 80%. In some situations, you can push calcium up higher, but you should always have about you know, 68% calcium to 12% magnesium. If you're in a sandy soil, you can push your magnesium up higher to about 18%. And uh, uh, crops tend to remove quite a bit of magnesium as well. Um, it, you know, they, they take all these nutrients up, every single one of them, but calcium and magnesium are taken up in, ra in, rather, in relatively high uh, numbers. So I tend to run a little bit higher magnesium because it tends to be uh, uh, taken from the soil in higher quantities than, uh, well, I shouldn't say higher quantities, how should I say this? I guess it's the base saturation of magnesium can go down quicker or faster would be a better word, uh, in one crop year than, say, for example, calcium. So I'll, re I'll repeat this in an example so that you guys possibly understand what I'm trying to say. So in one growing season, you maybe you'll remove, I, I don't know, 200 pounds of calcium per the acre or, or whatever it might be. You may lower your base saturation down to 60, while magnesium, it, if you lower it 5%, you know, that, that's a third. But in calcium, if you lower it 5%, you know, it's a real small percentage of the overall amount of calcium you really want in that soil. So it's safer to run that magnesium a little bit higher. Uh, in places where you know that acid rain is an issue, um, you, you can really push the calcium up higher and rob that percent base saturation, try to push your pH up a little bit higher uh, because you're, you're, it's gonna end up dropping off after a year or so. So you can, play around with that, but for the most part, the general rule of thumb is these two, calcium and magnesium, should be 80%. Uh, potassium, usually we we'll wanna keep it at 4%. If you have grapes or uh, strawberries or other fruiting uh, crops, then you may wanna push this as high as 6%, in some instances even as high as 8%, but you don't wanna get too high because if you start getting past, you know, after 8%, really after 6%, you can tend to block the calcium. Uh, it just, it really depends on the crop you're growing and the genetics and how susceptible they are. I mean, I have certain tomatoes like recorded bluffs that are very notorious for blossom end rot. Uh, so pretty much as soon as you go above 6%, it's over. It's hard to control it on that one. You gotta get it back down. Uh, 
Um, others are more resistant to it. So genetics sometimes plays a role. Sodium, of course, should always be half of potassium and, uh, or less in some instances. I would not push sodium that high if I were to push uh, potassium that high. But in some scenarios, people have very high sodium levels. And it's difficult to grow in those soils. I, I would like to push potassium a little bit higher uh, because, and, you know, I, I also tend to, but again, you know, I, I want to, my, my instinct is to want to raise these three. That's really what we tend to want to do is to raise calcium, magnesium, and potassium in a soil that has a lot of sodium. But the problem is that most soils that have too much sodium are usually really dry soils in, in arid environments where you don't have the luxury of being able to wash those nutrients away. So it's a challenge growing in those sodic soils. Or saline, uh, yes, uh, sorry, uh, yes, sodic soils. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about, I didn't really uh, get a chance to make all the PowerPoints, but in this particular uh, book that a lot of you have come up and taken a look at, he makes recommendations and uh, for different nutrient balancing, but everything kind of works off of itself. Because if you start to look at, I'm going to escape and get out of the PowerPoint here. We're going to take a look at something that I do. So I, I like to... Uh, it's a lot of math, right? So today we got things like Excel. So you make a spreadsheet and you throw it on there. I just made a spreadsheet. This is what I tend to do. I just put all my inputs on the side here and it does everything else for me. But essentially what I wanted to say, so on a spreadsheet like this, I'll have all the nutrients on the left column here. Um, and you know, I did the math here, so I'll see if I can remember some of this stuff off the top of my head. So course here's my base saturation so it always equal 100 right whatever I got in there needs to equal 100 uh, pounds per the acre which comes down here uh, CC desired CC magnesium that I found CC that we found the desired levels here potassium that I found CC that I found desired levels here so when somebody asks me for you know, any advice on consulting etc I tend to just take their soil sample plug it all in here and I might make some minor changes inside the, the column here depending on what they have and anyway, it bumps out everything you need on the right. But essentially, the spreadsheet's pretty simple where uh, once we've got calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium under control, now we start to look at phosphorus. What's our phosphorus and phosphate in this particular lab? They give it to you as phosphate. You gotta divide that by 0.44 to where that'll tell you how much you actually have in uh, phos elemental phosphorus. Sorry, you multiply that by 0.44, you get elemental phosphorus. So it's confusing sometimes because some labs might tell you phosphate, some labs might tell you elemental phosphorus. So you got to make sure you know which one you're dealing with here because it's the elemental phosphorus that should be about 1.1% of whatever your potassium is. And then once you know what that is, your sulfur should be half of that. So you see how your sulfur relates to your phosphorus, which relates to your potassium. They're all connected. Now we go to, uh, let's see, zinc down here at the bottom and zinc is, if I remember correctly, zinc is supposed to be 10% of your phosphorus. And then your copper is supposed to be half of your zinc. This is, th these are, these numbers that I'm talking about are, ge you know, general recommendations of where these nutrient levels should be based off of, largely off of Albrecht, but then people who have taken his work and then 
continue to expound on it. And this gentleman is just one of them. So these numbers come from this book, The Ideal Soil Handbook. Um, let's see, I think I covered it. Uh, boron should be, okay, so if you have 10,000 parts per million of, that's too high, we'll say 4,000 parts per million, which is still relatively high. Um, I'm sorry, 4,000 pounds to the acre of boron, then you should have four part, I'm sorry, 4,000 pounds to the acre of calcium, then you should have four parts per million of boron. You see how that works? It, it's, it's, you know, all these numbers, you know, I don't expect you to remember them. But if you buy this book, you'll read them, and then you'll, you know, you might be like, wow, how in the world do I figure, I don't have all day to figure this out. So then you just start putting it on Excel spreadsheets. Most people can build something this simple. It's not that complicated. Molybdenum, I usually put in very small quantities of just one to two parts per million per acre. Now one, to, one, one to two parts per million, that's like half a pound to two pounds. And very, very little. Very, very little. So these nutrients like molybdenum, cobalt, again, is usually just a part per million or half a part per million. Boron, zinc, uh, manganese. I'm sorry, I didn't talk about iron and manganese. So manganese should be or iron should be half of manganese, or manganese is twice of iron, however you, want to, however you want to look at that. So iron should be, the number of iron, how much iron you have, should also be based off of phosphorus, and it should be about half of phosphorus. Unless you're growing blueberries or other acid-loving uh, acid crops that tend to want more iron and, magnes and manganese, then you sometimes will double or triple that, and you'll actually have the iron in the soil about equal to phosphorus. So most of it's coming from that. Um, so I just use this as an example. Uh, you can do that. Uh, I have a lot of things in here. I, I don't like to share this, not because I don't want you guys to have it, but because I have so many things in here that I think would confuse people, and then they would be making mistakes. I'd hate to people make mistakes. I'd rather just tell you the information. And I mean, probably I would share the first quadrant. But everything else is really a mess. <laughs> I wouldn't want to give it to you and then have you make decisions. And then you say, oh, this didn't work, you know, or I made a mess. And, you know, so I, I don't typically share this. I hardly ever even show it. But I just put it up here because I didn't have the PowerPoints to discuss what I was trying to discuss. Um, oh, yeah, so other graphs. So uh, this is uh, calcium as it comes out, as it leaches out of the soil. Uh, you know, I have, this is actually in where I grow. And I just wanted to share this. I said, because I, I, I keep bringing it up but anyway so this is week 31 of the year when I planted you know when I was way up here at the beginning I had about 80 percent base saturation in the media of calcium by the time you you look you, you see as I start to take you know as, as the season progresses and I'm taking samples you see a drop and then I begin to apply gypsum and lime and it's uh, you know calcium comes up and then I start harvesting and it just boom tanks what were you growing in bank Oh, actually, this is just an outlier. That, that, that's, that's not right. I'm sorry. Um, that's an outlier there. Uh, the magnesium stayed consistent, relatively consistent. Um, but again, I was adding a lot of magnesium. The magnesium is easy to add. Sodium, it doesn't go anywhere. That, that also was a zero. The multiplier was zero, so it dumped everything down. But reality is everything was there. I never really added any sodium. Sodium doesn't really go much of anywhere. That's why it's so hard to work with, with uh, uh, sodic soils. Don't they don't need a lot of sodium. So when you got a lot of sodium in your soil, it can get really 
tough to work with, um, especially if you can't leach it out. Uh, let's see here. No, it was C90, yeah, sodium chloride. So now we look at uh, nutrient averages. The red line is the actual yield. So from you know every week you're harvesting and we started at zero. Our peak was probably about 13,000, then we dropped. But then this gap right here was really corresponding with mysterious drops in calcium. <laughs> As you start to take the data and you just watch it and you look at these trends, it's really amazing to see what happens as you swing from base saturations of calcium of 85% all the way down to 35%. And then you go back and you reflect on what you did during the growing season. And these are just things that, you know, I'm saying I have learned throughout the week. So, you know, you start to make corrections and then boom, you bump back up to about seven to 8,000 pounds a week. This is just greenhouse production and just looking at nutrition. So you take things like this and you think about your garden. What are you doing in your garden? You know, oh, so I grew, you know, so many pounds, or, you know, people come and talk to me. I, I started growing, everything was great, and then, you know, after a couple of years, everything just got terrible. And they don't realize how much nutrition you're mining out of your gardens and your farms. You're pulling that out of there. You know, this is, it's incredible how much you pull out of the ground. Um, it's just examples. I'm, I'm just showing some of my experience that some of the things I've been seeing with this. Of course, this is in greenhouse growing. Um, these are, those are ratios, and these are the actual leachate levels. Uh, if you look at your actual leachate levels, nitrogen, I mean, it's just flatline. You, you start high at first, the crop sucks it all up. By the time you build all that factory, you get it loaded down with fruit, you really don't need nitrogen. I mean, I hardly run any nitrogen. And I never, it, it, the sap analysis never comes back and tells me that I'm deficient. You know, it, it's, it's, you just don't need that much nitrogen. Nitrogen is oftentimes used way too much. It's overrated. But you look at other nutrients and, you know, you see these drops like that. I mean, you just see these trend lines, and, I mean, and it just follows the science. It really follows the science over and over and over again. So, anyhow, I just wanted to share that with you guys because I keep bringing it up and talking about it. Um, anyhow, the rest is a lot of data. So, no two composts are created equal. So, you know, there's a company out in Vermont has Vermont compost. It's a really good compost, sure, but it's $200 a yard. Yeah, no thanks. I mean, it's great. If you're just going to use it, I mean, if you're just a gardener at home, maybe that's not too bad. You know, a yard is a lot of compost. That's 27 cubic feet. I mean, that's probably about 15 bags or whatever, 14 bags. Sorry, 14 bags of compost. I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of compost. Um, you're selling seedlings or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for starting seedlings, et cetera, because it's already comes pre-inoculated. Um, so you got the mycorrhizae in there. You've got a lot of the, uh, like, uh, root shield and uh, TerraGrow, et cetera. All these expensive inoculums are already in there. You have a mixture of peat moss. You have a mixture of compost. You have perlite. I mean, anyway, when you grow something in this compost, it's pre-inoculated, which is great. But, I mean, you're paying a lot of money for it. Uh, when you get compost that you can go, I mean, compost comes in so many different ways, uh, forms and here in Oregon, there was a guy that went out and bought a bunch of compost from, I think it was the city of Portland or the city of Salem. I don't remember. I think it was Portland, municipal waste, vegetable waste. And then uh, he tried to grow basil in them. So he put a whole bunch of compost. It was like a 50-50 mixture of compost and something else. So he started planted all this basil. thought he was going to sell all this basil. It was super chlorotic. He couldn't figure out what was going on. So he dumps a bunch of you know, uh, nitrogen in it. Gets this nitrogen real high. Didn't fix the problem. Crop's still chlorotic. So he called 
a uh, solar science, uh, another friend of mine that's also a solar scientist, and he asked, hey, what's, what's, what's going on with my crop? You know, I mean, I, I called the extension agent. They keep telling me to dump nitrogen down. I keep putting the nitrogen down. The crop is chlorotic. What is going on? I don't know. Get it tested. Take a sample. Sends it off to the lab. Comes back. You had something like 30% base saturation of sodium. <laughs> Why was it so high? It was food waste. Restaurant waste. waste restaurant waste. Composted restaurant waste. So they, they, they salt the food. So you go and you get this, you know, that's what I mean. It's like it, compost varies so much that you can't just assume that because it's got the name compost that it means it's going to be good stuff. You have to understand what the raw ingredients were. So in some cases, you know, raw <coughs> vegetable waste is an excellent compost for some people under some conditions, assuming you know what those raw materials were. If it's strictly restaurant waste, chances are it's probably high on sodium, you know. So I, maybe I wouldn't recommend it so much. But even some of the better compost that I have seen are still really high in potassium. And, and if you have a lot high phosphorus levels and you keep putting this compost down, you tend to elevate your phosphorus as well. I can try to I have. OK, so how do you amend and improve your soil with what you have? And, and, and my answer is for you that oftentimes you cannot. You have to haul something in if, in most cases, you have to haul something in, fix your problem and then you can begin to start uh, some sort of cycle of you know, growing something and then producing your own compost and then bringing it back in uh, you know, and growing again, continuously growing so that you can maintain that where occasionally you add a little bit of this or a little bit of that. But for the most part, that's not sustainable if you're looking to actually take an Albrecht approach. I mean, it's not realistic if you're looking to take an Albrecht approach because you're so out of whack. You gotta bring something in. Okay. So that's my argument is, you got to get it ready. You, you know, now is the time. Do Start doing something. Right. Yeah, you got to do something from. In other words, you got to be prepared. You got to be prepared. Once you get the thing right, you know, there's a lot of farms that start off, and and you know, it's why it's so hard to start a farm. It's not just that you're trying to start a farm and all the complexities of start trying to start a farm, but usually when you try to start a farm, the soil is way out of whack, and you got to get that right. So you know, and, and if you want to quit your day job and start farming, if that's what you feel your calling is. I would encourage you to find a piece of property, get it tested, get the nutrition right, and then maybe quit your job and start farming while you still have your day job. Yeah. Yeah. So then, and then, you know, when you can fix some of these things or, or, or maybe have one spouse working and another one working on the farm or something like that. So somebody, a lot of people do that. One spouse is off the farm and another spouse is on the farm. You know, in order to get the farm going, and then once the farm gets going, the other spouse quits, and then the two of them keep farming. So if you, okay. you know, so the thing we got to understand, folks, is that God created this earth, and everything was good. He called it good. Because of sin, He brought the flood, and He destroyed this earth. And since then, the lifespan of man went from a thousand years down to about a hundred and some change, if you're lucky. So something drastically, drastic changed <coughs> after the flood, and there's a lot of theories about what that happened about what that was, but there's no doubt about it that it had a lot to do with flooding. That flooding changed the structures of our soils and now our soils are totally out of balance because, I mean, the great fountains of the deep bursted open, tectonic plates started moving, mountains came up, ash went in the, I mean, so many things happened and changed the surface of this earth that whatever that balance, that perfect nutrition was that God had in Garden of Eden and the, and, and the antediluvians and got to enjoy, is gone. 
It's not there anymore. So no matter where you go, you're going to be dealing with some sort of an imbalance. Just like us, we all have imbalances in character. Everybody has something that's wrong with them. You know, these, you know, these two guys are both sinners, but this guy has a different problem than this guy. I have a different problem than they have. You know, we're all sinners, and we all fall short of the glory of God, but we all have different things that cause us to sin. And it's the same with soils. They all have different you know, shortcomings and different excessives or, or nutrients that are excess. So it's just out of balance. Uh, we have to work with that. Like we have to work with our characters. There's no easy way out. There's no way that we can get to heaven without Christ. You know, you, you gotta get, you gotta get it from someplace else because it isn't there right now. Unless somebody's been working really hard to get it there and keep it there. Okay. So there, there, there's just no easy way out. There's no easy way out. With a lot of this, there simply isn't. You got to figure it out. Some people get lucky and they get soils that are in pretty decent shape. I mean, yeah, they're out of balance maybe, but they're pretty decent shape. But most people don't. They inherit messes like the <laughs> PowerPoint or the samples I showed you, where things are just way out of whack. <laughs> Anyhow, here's a test of some compost I had tested. I normally I'll get compost, I'll put it in a bag, and I'll tell them test it as uh, soil, and then they did it as eight inches, though I wanted six. But anyway. See, the exchange capacity is 10.66, um, pretty common for compost. The pH was 7.2. That's not necessarily com all that common. Uh, you know, but your phosphorus, 1,083, that's, that's over 1,000 pounds uh, equivalent. You know, so you have to actually take these numbers we figured out and go backwards and work to figure out what a pound of that compost actually is. But um, I think that comes down to... When I did a test, is something like for every yard of compost you put down? No, is that right? For every 10 yards of compost that you apply for the acre, it's about the equivalent to 10 pounds of potassium, if I remember right. And a similar number for phosphorus. And you see here you have 766 pounds equivalent to the acre. You know, it's wanting... 443. So if I were to try to grow something in this compost by itself, you know, I, I would have what an excess of potassium. <clears throat> uh, my magnesium would be about right. Calcium would be about right. Sodium would be a little on the deficient side. Phosphorus would be a little high, uh, and that's just sulfur would be deficient. And then of course we've got to look at the rest of the bottom of this. Uh, we look at our base saturations. You can see this is a calcium is actually a bit high, but this is. Uh, these are hardwoods that were wood chipped and decomposed. So you don't tend to see that in this part of the country. This is actually a compost we bought in New England. Uh, Potassium is almost 7%. Sodium is 0.84. Other bases are 4.2. Boron is a little low. Iron is about half of what it should be. Manganese is a little deficient. Copper is about what it should be, a little low, but almost what it should be. Zinc is a little high, and aluminum is a little high as well, which is rather strange when I saw 701 uh, parts per million parts per million in that in that uh, compost there. Stuff would grow in there. Yeah, it's actually not that bad. No, no, but you know, you, you could get some pretty decent production out of that, right? But the thing is, that's just this compost. I could show you other ones, and they're way different. They have almost no calcium, and they have huge numbers of potassium. And you know, the 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 simpler the raw ingredients, the higher the potassium. So this compost was made out of strictly wood chips. Decomposed, actually it was made out of decomposed tree stumps. So 
So the guys go around and they grind all these tree stumps out wherever they pull trees out. They take all that stuff, they take it off to a yard somewhere, and they compost it. And then after a while, they sell you the compost. Um, you go and you buy compost that's decomposed or food waste or vegetables and plant matter, it's going to be way higher in potassium, way higher in phosphorus. Why? Because those are actual plants versus just wood. There's a tremendous amount of lignin in this and, and cellulose that needs to be broken down. Still, yet. I mean, it hasn't been completely broken down. Right. So it's just, it's just not all two composts are created the same. And then, of course, they would have a much higher sodium level as well, even, even if it wasn't excessive. It would definitely not be deficient like you see here of a 0.84, which what we would think is a deficient, but I wouldn't really call it deficient for compost. And then you also got to imagine, say I take this, because some organic farms, it's, it's common practice to be applying something like 40 yards to the acre. Now, 40 yards, a lot of compost. To go and spread 40 yards of compost per the acre, I mean, it's something. There's something more there than just nitrogen. And nitrogen is not a good excuse to be using compost. You know, if you're trying to get your nitrogen levels up, compost is not a good excuse. You have to realize that you're getting all this phosphorus and potassium too. So if you're applying compost to manage your, your, your nitrogen, you're going to overdo your phosphorus and potassium. Okay, I don't know. All right, he's asking about silica and some publications. I know, I, I'm not familiar with the publications you're speaking of. I'm also not familiar with the research that was done out at uh, uh, Rutgers University in New Jersey, but I do know the effects that I've seen from using silica, um, and they, it, it, it is a necessary nutrient. Most soils are deficient in silica, especially soils that have been farmed because people don't ever think to actually fertilize with silica. But uh, I started using silica in the form of azomite, and uh, azomite is 64%, I believe, silica. It's amorphous, which means it breaks apart very easy, and then I think it's like something, if I remember right, 2 to 5% or something like that, immediately available silica. So when you use that azomite, it, it will raise your silica, but you also get, I don't practically every other mineral in the periodic table of elements because it's actually volcanic rock. But it happens to be very high in silica. So uh, when I, again, silica and calcium are the two main nutrients that bond cells together. So when you get that silica in there, along with the right levels of calcium, you see unbelievable resistance to fungal pathogens. It's, it's, it's rather impressive. Once I started using that, I almost have no powdery mildew or any downy mildew or any of that stuff it just real and my leaves are huge I mean about almost as long as my arm on tomato vines I still don't understand why I have such big leaves <laughs> every time I look at my leaves they're massive I try to cut them back a lot but yeah but definitely calcium and silica and phosphorus are the ones that build the skeleton of the plant I didn't talk about biochar. I know that there's actually quite a bit of research going on in uh, OSU about biochar, and they're using biochar uh, for a couple different things. One is soil remediation, trying to trap heavy metals, but another one that you're really looking at what you're doing is um, essentially those images I showed of these weird complex carbon structures. Uh, that's kind of all biochar is. It's just, and it can increase your, your uh, soil's cation exchange capacity, but the other thing that biochar does is it tends to drastically raise your pH, and it's hard to bring it back down, very hard. Also, biochar, if it comes from the right type of wood, can be preloaded with a lot of calcium. Uh, again, that would have to be usually a hardwood. 
Uh, so if you're making biochar out here, it's probably not going to have levels as high as you would see in the East Coast. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.